0: Good morning, Journey Church. How are we doing today? All right, we're alive and awake. It's early. I love it. Thank you so much. My name is Dan, and I'm the worship minister here at Journey Church, and I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to share with you this next step in our series called How to Bible. Today, we're going to be talking about how to read and interpret God's Word, but before we do, I want to just take a moment real quickly and ask you to pray with me as we get started. God, I'm so grateful for this chance to speak this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here, Lord, and it's humbling, and I just ask, God, that in your strength, that you would find a way through this imperfect person to portray perfect truth about your word, about who you are, so that you can be glorified, so that we can be grown in you. So, God, we just ask that you would come and minister in this time as we share it together. Be glorified and be king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I have a little bit of a cold, a little bit of stuff going on with that, bear with me somewhat with that, but I want to start off with a question before we go anywhere else. How many people have ever played or still play an instrument, just by a show of hands? Okay, so yeah, there's there's a good number of us in the midst of it. You probably know someone who's done it, if you haven't. Maybe you can even remember the excitement that you had the first time you picked up that instrument. I know I was really excited when I first picked up my instrument. For the first time. It was actually a trumpet at the time, but now I play guitar, and I love doing that. When you pick up an instrument, you are really, really hopeful about everything that you can do with it, but then when that first lesson comes around, you realize there's a lot of hard work in front of you. There's a whole world of difference between what you want to experience with the instrument and where you actually are when you get started. You know, when I learned the guitar, I was lucky enough that I had a lot of people that I knew who played acoustic guitar at the time, so I was learning an acoustic guitar, and I started to play it with them, and that helped me get dangerous pretty quickly. But when I was learning how to use the electric guitar, it was something else entirely, honestly. I didn't know anybody who played. It was a lot harder to learn. There wasn't any manuals. I mean, this is before YouTube, guys, all right? All right. <laughs> We weren't able just to go on there and check something out. You had two options. You could either go to the library and find a book about it and try to read it, or you could go find someone who knew how to do it and then try to do it yourself through them. But I had tried lessons, and those didn't take. And I had gone ahead and gone to the library, but all I could find was classical guitar. And I really wasn't interested in doing classical guitar. So I did the next best thing. I went to Guitar Center. I begged and pleaded that my parents would take me there as often as they could, and I played as many guitars as I could and learned as much as I could. But here's the problem. At least at the guitar center that I was at when I grew up, they expected you to know something about guitars when you walked in, all right? And and I just didn't know enough. And honestly, I looked like an idiot for a very long time and continued to do that. And if it wasn't for the fact that I was all in about guitar, I don't think I would have probably lasted enough to actually learn it. And I, I'm not sure if you can relate to that about an instrument or a guitar or, or, or really uh, anything like that, but, but maybe you've started something else in your life and you've hoped to get some traction in it, something new, and it really just hasn't come to you right away. Now, I just want to let you know that that's something that is pretty normal, and especially when it talks about something like the Bible. You know, the Bible has a lot that goes into it, a lot of things that we need to learn. And that's why Randy has gone ahead and started this series called How to Bible, so that we can go ahead and learn the basics that we need to understand, to be able to apply, and to be able to believe the Bible. And I really hope that you can go ahead and take some time to put into practice what we're teaching today. In fact, I think it's so important for moving on a simple journey towards Jesus that we're going to make sure that if you don't have a Bible, that you do have one when you leave here. We have some free Bibles that are available just underneath the journey sign in the lobby. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and stop by and pick one up if you don't have one. You know, if you take the time to read and listen to what's said in the Bible, you aren't going to regret it. It's going to be something that's going to change and grow you in a big way. Now, to those of us who did grow up with the Bible, I want to speak to you real quickly here. I know this could seem like a perfect time to just put things in cruise and just coast through, but I want to encourage you to really dig deep. All right, let's not go ahead and allow this to be a moment for us just to pass by easily. Let's go ahead and make this time hopefully something where we can all get a refresher that we maybe might need. And for those people who are first starting out into the Bible, maybe it can be for them a really formative experience to help open up a book that's full of a lot of treasure and a lot of truth. So let's get started with that being said. Step one is pretty simple read the Bible. Okay? It may seem like it's not worth mentioning, but I think we all know that this is probably one of the most overlooked steps in the church today. It's unfortunate and sad, really, when we think about it, that we say that we take our faith seriously, but at the same time, we don't actually take the time to read God's Word. See, God has inspired this book and preserved it through history so that we can hear from Him in a big way. So if we truly believe God is speaking to us today through the Bible then what possible excuse do we have not to read it? All right, so so let's just remember the fact that our Creator and Savior is ready to meet us in a real way when we enter the Bible, when we go ahead and open up those pages and read through them. You know, the Bible, for us as a believer, isn't an activity that we do. It's an appointment that we make. And I just want to say that one more time, and I hope it can sink in. It's really not an activity. It's not something that's just... We're checking off our list. It's a meeting and an encounter with God, the eternal God, our creator and savior. But whether you believe in God or not, the Bible's sheer significance in human history is enough to warrant a read. It's clear that the Bible is the most influential book in all human history, period. It's more influential than the philosophical writings of Aristotle, the plays of Shakespeare, the scientific essays of Isaac Newton, the novels of Tolstoy, the economic theories of Adam Smith, the political reflections of Karl Marx, or the psychology of Freud, no writing equals its significance. So have you read it? When was the last time you read it, maybe? No matter who you are, you can benefit from reading the Bible. Whether you're just checking out this Jesus thing for the first time, or you've been a believer for decades, this book has something incredible to offer you. But taking the time to read the Bible requires intentionality and discipline. Even the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day struggled with this. You know, these people came and they went to Jesus with some questions that they had about the scriptures. They were jealous of his notoriety. Everyone was flocking to him. And so they wanted to trip him up and make him look bad. When in reality, the other thing happened. They looked bad instead. So Jesus responds to their questions with a statement and some questions of his own. In Matthew 22, 29, 31, he says, "'You don't know the scriptures.'" Have you not read what God said to you? Jesus was surprised that people who openly dedicated their lives to God didn't know his word. And I wonder today if you'd feel the same surprise that we don't know his word the same way. Let's not let their mistake become ours. So determine, decide, and resolve to actually read it. That's the first thing. Step two is read a modern translation. A contemporary translation of the Bible helps you understand better the words you're reading. Plenty of people have had a hard time reading the Bible because they began with an outdated translation that pretty much doomed them to failure. Here's the thing with translations, okay? The Bible was written in two basic languages. The first was in the Old Testament. It was written in Hebrew. And the New Testament was written in Greek. And this was written that way because that was the language of the authors who wrote the book. That's how they spoke. If you remember last week, Randy talked about how God used ordinary people who were inspired by the Spirit of God to write the Bible. So the people who wrote those books in the languages of their day, the languages that they spoke. So every Bible we read today is in a translation of one of those original languages. That's why scholars who do the translating study Hebrew and Greek and work in huge teams so they can go ahead and keep each other accurate and on track. But this isn't just with the Bible, this is with any ancient manuscript, whether it's the works of Kant, Plato, Virgil, Dostoevsky, Rousseau, we trust the scholarship of these teams and experts to portray accurately the true intention of the writer, and in our case, the one who inspired the writer. So when we hear someone say, how can you believe the Bible with so many translations? They're not really understanding the nature of ancient manuscripts, because all manuscripts have translations. So make sure that you have one that's in English, and make sure it's not just English, but modern English, the English that we speak today. And if you're wondering why there are so many translations, it's not because we don't know what the Hebrew and Greek actually said. We know what they said, but how we speak changes so much from day to day. I mean, wicked used to mean something was bad or evil. Now it means that something is wicked good, for instance. I mean, spam used to be canned meat, or something like meat. Uh, Cool used to mean that you were cold. Coke was a drink, not a drug. And dripping used to mean that you were soaked. And now it means that something's just really cool. So that's why our dictionaries are always being updated, because language is constantly changing. Really, what's made the Bible so hard for so many people is the persistence of the King James Version of the Bible. Now, if you read the King James Version of the Bible and you understand it, that's great. I'm not trying to go ahead and get you to sign off of it, okay? But this version of the Bible was translated over 400 years ago. And, of course, it's translated into the language of the day from the Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. This was a great translation and, in many ways, was the standard for future translations of the Bible. But it doesn't read like we talk today. It not only uses words like thou's, these, and "hitherto's," but even forms sentences different than how we form sentences today. But back then, King James English was how everyone spoke, and it sounded perfectly familiar. In the 1600s, really there wasn't many people besides kings who could make a translation. This was a massive undertaking. To give you an idea of uh, how true that actually is, We would have to wait after the creation of the King James Version of the Bible about 300 years for the next new translation on its own. So the Bible, so we have huge changes, excuse me, over the 300 years in how people speak. And at the same time, we continue to encourage, feed, and celebrate faith as if it was spoken of in the 1600s. The result is that the King James English becomes a much larger part of faith than it needed to be. The truth is, there isn't anything more spiritual about the King James Version of the Bible uh, than a modern translation like the English Standard Version or the New Living Translation. Um, Really, they're all translated from the original documents. The important part isn't the these and the thous, which became, over time, the de facto religious voice. It's the truth that they translated from the original Hebrew and Greek. So, get yourself a modern translation And that takes the manuscripts of the Bible and translates them into the language that we speak today, like the King James Version did in its time. This is going to make it much easier for you to read and understand what God is saying to you through the Bible. Okay, so you've committed to read the Bible, and you've gone ahead and found a modern translation that you can understand. So what's the next step? You go ahead and open up the book, flip past the table of contents, and you get to page one, right? Well, I'm actually going to encourage you not to do that because you'd probably be okay if you get through Genesis and Exodus, the first two books. But by the time you get to the Leviticus and all the laws and regulations of the Jewish people and the numbers, you'd probably be pretty bogged down by everything that was going on. Now, don't get me wrong. These books are full of powerful and rich truth. Even Numbers speaks to the faithfulness and intention of God through time as it tracks the lineage of Jesus, our promised Savior. The truth is the Bible is all about Jesus. It's God's story, his plan, about how he came and rescued us from our sin and our bondage and gave us new life through the person of Jesus. So this brings us to step three, starting with Jesus. The Bible speaks most profoundly about Jesus in the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. And you'll find these just a little bit past halfway through the Bible at the beginning of the New Testament. These books are just biographies of Jesus's life, told from the different perspectives of his disciples. Matthew was writing to the Jews of his day. Mark was the youngest, and his was the shortest of the books and also had the most action scenes. Um, Luke was actually the scholar of the group, and he's ranked as a first-class historian because of his eye for detail. And John had a much wider, more secular audience and wrote for the Greek population. His was the last one to be written. So I'd encourage you to go ahead and start by choosing one of these books that covers the central message of the Bible, which is Jesus' life and teachings. After that, then I'd suggest going to another book in the New Testament, like James or Second Peter, and this is going to give you a good sense of the Bible's practical advice on how to live the life of a Christ follower, because these were written to, these were letters that were written to communities of faith back in, uh, back in their time. And then you can go to the the first book, Genesis, and hear about how everything started, hear some incredible stories of faith that you will have probably heard about as you grew up in Sunday school, and really dig into what is there. And from that point, you're in decent shape to jump in wherever you really feel drawn to to keep reading. Remember, when you read Scripture as a believer, though, you're not reading it alone. We talked about how it was an appointment, not an activity. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and obey his call to be baptized— the Bible teaches you that you've received the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is going to go ahead and help reveal God's truth to you. In 1 Corinthians two ten through 13, we read about that. It says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we receive not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. And we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What the writer is saying is that the Holy Spirit is there with you to go ahead and unlock the truth that's in the Bible. You don't have to worry about going ahead and reading it and figuring it out on your own. You know, it's unlike any other book, because as we sit down to read it, we get to actually hear from the one who inspired the words that were written in it. When we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal God's word to us, he can show us more about ourselves and life than we could possibly imagine. And God wants you to read his word so that you can know him better, and he's going to help you do that. So don't be afraid to ask him to help. Take some time before you read and pray and asking God to speak to you and remember to listen to that still small voice of God. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament about one of God's prophets, Elijah. And Elijah had some big problems and really wasn't sure why God wasn't showing up the way he wanted him to. So he decided to run away and hide in a mountain cave. Now, don't be too hard on Elijah. He had every reason to fear for his life. But if you've ever really lived out a Christian life and had a hard experience that you've gone through, I think you can kind of understand where Elijah was coming from. There are moments in our lives where you just want God to show up. I mean, you need it. You can't make it any further. You need God to act, to do something God-sized, to make a real difference in what's happening to you. I'm sure Elijah felt this way. And in the midst of his hiding, God did speak to him, but not like he expected Let's take a look at this story. It's in First Kings nineteen eleven through thirteen, and it, and it goes like this. He said, "Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke it in, in and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake." And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after that fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You see, I think we have another problem when it comes to the Bible as believers. We bring our own expectations upon it. All right? So we come to the Bible upset and hurt and want it to go ahead and fix everything that's going on, want it to justify us and vindicate us. We want a speedy and miraculous end to the pain that we or a loved one is facing. But God doesn't just want to make our lives better. He wants to be part of them. See, God could have been present in the windstorm. He certainly commanded its power. He could have been present in the fire as well, but then Elijah couldn't have drawn near to him. He chose instead to come in a whisper so that Elijah could draw near and hear what he was saying. He chose to go ahead and ask Elijah what he was doing in the cave, even though he knew all the circumstances that were coming up into him running and hiding there because he wanted to be known by him and he wanted Elijah to know him. You see, God wants to make our lives better and sometimes he does that by giving us the miracle that fixes the problems we face. Other times... The miracle God does in our lives is giving us the peace and the patience to wait until he sets everything right one day in heaven. Sometimes God works the miracle in us instead of the situation we face. So when you read the Bible and ask God to speak to you, come with an open mind and heart. Allow for God to move in ways that you weren't expecting and allow him to go ahead and connect with you in the midst of it because he wants to. Don't just look for neon signs, but listen for a quiet whisper of God who knows you and wants you to know him. That's why God used ordinary people like us, so we could understand the eternal truth that he was expressing and inspiring them to share. In 2 Corinthians 13, we we're reminded of this by one of the writers when they say, we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. So let's review. Step one is just to read the Bible. We're vastly overlooked, but it's something that we have to do. Step two, find a modern translation that you can understand. Nothing wrong with an older translation, but if you can't grasp it, don't spend time on it. Find a modern one that translates from the original text. And step three is starting with Jesus, the central message of the Bible. And remember, along each way, God is right there with you, right beside you, ready to help you. So now that you're reading the Bible and trying to hear God's voice, how do you figure out what he's saying? How can you separate your own understanding from God's voice and his truth in the Bible? There's a pretty common word for this, uh, actually that process, and it's something you've probably heard before. It's called interpretation. This is the part that can get kind of sticky really quickly. Every time somebody points out something in the Bible that someone else doesn't agree with, they'll go ahead and respond by saying, well, that's just your interpretation, as if that's the end of it. It's almost as if they're saying that when it comes to the Bible, we don't have anything more than personal opinion. But that really can't be true, can it? Is our interpretation of the Bible simply the reader's opinion and therefore completely subjective? If so, that makes the Bible a giant free for all. And anyone could read it however they want. And there's really nothing definitive there for us to understand or go ahead and shape our lives around. Of course, that's not true, it's just a cultural myth. And we know that because there's actually a field of study for biblical interpretation. This study is called hermeneutics, and it just means the science of interpretation. But it actually is a science. You see, when you read something, you assign meaning and your own understandings to it without maybe even ever realizing it. So how can you let the text speak clearly on its own without reading our own understanding and purpose into it? How do we let the Bible shape us instead of us shaping the Bible? This is a huge issue because at times the Bible has been used to justify horrible and awful actions and events. Throughout history, people have used the Scriptures to justify even slavery and war. What an awful misuse of Scripture. So we need to do something as believers to make sure that doesn't happen in our time, that people don't use the Scripture to go ahead and hurt and destroy other people's lives. And these principles of hermeneutics not only keep us from warping the meaning of the Bible to suit our own lives, like those who misinterpreted the Bible to be pro-slavery or to start the crusades, but also allows us to hear more clearly the voice of God within Scripture so that we can grow personally. So let's take a look at these principles and see how we can put them into action as we interpret God's Word. First, we look at the first principle, which is language. Translate the language. You should study the grammar and vocabulary of the language and make sure that you know and are reading correctly as well in your translation. Then you determine the genre, all right? So, in other words, is it poetry, history, science, narrative, fiction, biography? You wouldn't read poetry the same way you'd read a scientific treatise. Then the third thing is context. You want to put the document in its historical and cultural context. And the fourth principle is connection. You need to connect the passage that you're reading or the verse that you're reading to the passage, and then make sure that passage is still in the wider context of the book that it's in. And through all this, you seek the writer's intent, their purpose, and goal. Now, that's a very quick overview of something that's extremely extensive. I've taken numerous classes in hermeneutics and studied Greek, but there's people who've gotten doctoral degrees in this field who've studied not only Greek but Hebrew and also have gone on to learn German and French and Latin so they can study scholarly works about the Bible and its books. But I'm going to stop here really quickly, and please stay with me because I'm not saying that you have to learn a different language or take these classes to go ahead and start to interpret the Bible for yourself. The truth is you can put the basics of interpretation into practice without ever stepping in a classroom. Anyone can begin to interpret the Bible by simply reading it with an open mind. Remember, we don't simply read the Bible with our own ability. We look and we ask God to enlighten us and to give us his knowledge and his understanding of what we're reading. So, Some of the things that we can do that would be helpful is simply by asking some questions. Now, this is going to sound familiar. You can ask questions like, who, what, when, where, why, and how. You can ask these questions of the Bible. You can ask, who is speaking? Who was it written to? What are the main ideas? Or you could dig deeper by asking questions like, what was the background of the writer? What was going on during this time in history? What seems to be the key section or verse in this passage? Some of these questions are harder and might even seem a little dry or unspiritual to you, but I'm telling you, these can lead to incredible spiritual discovery. Most of the time, if you have a good study Bible, you can even find the answers to many of these questions on the same page. You see, when we elevate what the Bible is actually saying, not what we think it's saying or not what we want it to say, we begin to see God... Uh, come alive and his voice speak to us in our lives in a way that changes that challenges us and grows us, instead of simply justifying the path we've already predetermined to walk in. Now, I know I've thrown a lot at you, but let's look at a few verses and just see how simple this really can be. It's it's not that complicated. Deuteronomy 6:4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Let's start by asking a simple question here: what is being said? Our God is one God. So we can clearly see that as Christians, we worship one God, not many. Let's look at another verse real quick. Exodus twenty fifteen, You shall not steal. Is it okay to steal? No, it's not okay to steal. You're interpreting. Look at that. It's that simple. All right? And in 1 Thessalonians four fourteen it says, Jesus died and rose again. So was Jesus just another amazing person in history like Gandhi? Or is there an actual evidence for him being the son of God? The Bible says Jesus died and rose again. And more, no mere man has ever pulled that off. Nine times out of ten, the Bible is straightforward in translation. And when it isn't straightforward in its uh, revelation, we have the hermeneutical principles and questions that we can rely upon to go ahead and help us understand what it really means. Always remember to stop and pray and ask God for him to go ahead and show you what he's actually saying in his word. Now, I want to shift gears and talk about a problem that almost every believer has faced when it comes to interpretation. And I know you're probably happy to hear me stop talking about hermeneutics. So, um, what happens when we interpret the Bible and God's Word, and it's clear and we understand it, but we don't like what it says? Then all of a sudden our doubt and interpretation become something that's real, and we start to face an uncomfortable reality that if we accept What seems to be true and clear in the word, we really have to change ourselves. You know, Lieb Strobel, a modern-day theologian, explains our shifting attitude and understandings in a really cutting way that hits home powerfully, I think. Let me read it to you. He says, Pretend that your daughter and her boyfriend are going out for a Coke on a Sunday on a school night. You say to her, You must be home before eleven. Now suppose it gets to be 10:45. The two of them are still having a great time. They don't want the evening to end, so suddenly they begin to have difficulty interpreting your instructions. They say, what did he really mean when he said, you must be home before 11? Did he literally mean us, or was he talking about you in general, like people in general? Was he saying, in effect, as a general rule, people must be home before 11? Or was he just making the observation, hey, generally people are home before 11? I mean, he wasn't very clear, was he? So with all these ambiguities... We can't really be sure what he meant at all. And if we can't make himself more clear, we certainly can't be held responsible. Have you ever fallen into that trap? It's the oldest trick that Satan has ever tried to play on us. And I think we're all guilty at some level of falling into that place where we actually doubt what God is telling us through the Scripture. I know it can be hard to understand at times, but the Bible is an incredible resource for us to dive into. Its places may be, and languages may be far away, and its histories and cultures may be from long ago, but the people in the Bible are very real and struggle just like us in so many ways. I'm not saying that everyone agrees about the Bible either, but what I am saying is that in the essential truths and teachings of the Bible, there's very little room to be confused about it. The problem is that we just don't necessarily like what it says. But really, there's another issue entirely, and that's the sad part of this whole story because many of us aren't even getting to the point of encountering this problem because we don't spend the time that we need to in God's Word to begin with. I want to challenge us as a church, as Journey Church, to go ahead and make a commitment to read something from the Bible every day, Get, get a Bible app on your phone that has a reading plan that you can work with. Or pick up a devotional at a Christian bookstore or on Amazon. Or even just grab a normal Bible, open it up to a book that you have or haven't read before, and read something every day. Spend the time in the Word and take the time to prayerfully and thoughtfully interpret what it's saying. Allow its truth to soak into your life, your relationships, your work, your thoughts, and you won't believe how God will bless you. You know, we live in a world that searches for meaning and purpose in such desperate ways, while all the time we tend to, unfortunately, put off on the shelf and ignore the word that we have from the person, the creator, the God who set all life in motion. Take the time to read and listen to the quiet whisper of your creator. And as you step into that relationship that you were made for, watch him open up the pages of this book and speak to you in powerful ways. You won't regret it. Will you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for communion? God, I thank you so much for the fact that you haven't left us without your truth, that you haven't left us without your word. God, forgive us for the many times that we simply neglect it, that we simply push it away in our busyness, and in all the different pressures and things that are put on us. God, help us look at it as more than just another activity to put on our to-do list for the day. Help us look at it as what it truly is, a moment for us to meet and hear from you, and to be grown in you. Lord, as we prepare for communion here this morning, as we prepare to celebrate what you've done to draw near to us, I pray that we would start making real and tangible what in real and tangible ways, drawing near to you through your word. God, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made to make all that possible. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us. And we thank you for your body that was broken for us. And God, we pray that as we drink this juice, that we would remember your healing and freedom that we have in you. And as we eat this bread, that we remember how your body was broken for us. And that we'd be willing to take a few minutes out of our day to spend focused on you, to spend fixed on your purpose and meaning for our lives, and to just listen for your still, quiet voice. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity to worship you and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.